0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, Thank you so, so much for listening. This is our Milan review episode, and I'm joined by a couple of guests to help me with this review. Our first guest is making his second appearance on the show, and you might know him as SSC Napoli News. Jay, welcome back. Hi,
1: Joe. Hi, Dan. Thanks a lot for having me on again. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's. I wish it was under better circumstances, but hopefully we can <laughs> give each other a little bit of self-therapy here with this review. We'll get into that a little bit more, but let me bring in our second guest. He's been on the pod a number of times. He is Dan Bowen. Dan, welcome back.
2: Hey, Joe, good to be back, man. Not so much for this review, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. And and you had the pleasure of witnessing that match live in person, though I imagine that might have still been better than watching it on TV, because it seemed like the atmosphere, at least, was pretty incredible at the Maradona.
2: Yeah, man. So it's been a minute since that passion has been in the stadium and Man, it felt really good, man. It really did. You know, I could see it in a lot of the people's faces, too. And then, you know, the other part of the, uh, at least at the beginning, when they were um, playing some songs and had some stuff on the screen about the uh, war in Ukraine, it was was pretty somber. So there was some mixed emotions at the beginning before the game started. It was a unique environment to be in. I've never been in an environment like that, in a huge crowd where you know there's something else going on besides normal life and it was weird to be there man to be honest.
0: Yeah, I think when you put it in that perspective, it does make losing a football match feel like not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> you know, that's maybe something for everyone to keep in the back of their minds as they're they're thinking about this defeat. Yeah, it sucks, but at the end of the day this is just A game really it's a game that means a lot to a lot of people but you know there are far worse situations that people could be in so let's get to the match as you guys know Milan came to the Maradona and beat us 1-0 on a goal by Olivier Giroud early in the second half I want to start with the two shouts for penalties in the first half the first non-call was in the fifth minute Ismail Benacer went down in the area he appeared to make contact with Koulibaly Jay, surely that was not a penalty, right?
1: No, no. I, th- I think you've just said it exactly right. Benesair made contact with Koulibaly. It wasn't the other way around. And I like and I'm, I'm not saying, obviously, he was trying to dupe the referee or, or anything like that. But in that instance, it's so easy for a player to run to another player and throw themselves on the floor and say, oh, yeah, penalty. Clearly, Koulibaly showed on the replay. He was planted. He was stood where he was stood. He made no movement towards Benesair. So no, for me, that was definitely wasn't a penalty. They got that one right.
0: I agree. I think it would have been really harsh to give a penalty there. Patrick Hendrick, I think, correctly pointed out on the commentary that Benicera appeared to be on his way to ground before the contact even. So, you know, it's hard to call that a foul. Also, I've said this on the pod time and time again, but this is a contact sport, right? Not every contact is a foul. And I think this was the perfect example of that. The second shout for a penalty was from Victor Oseman, which was in the 13th minute. Then you were at the match, so I don't know if you got a good view of this live in person, but did you have a chance to see it on the replay?
2: I did see it on the replay, and I was on the far end of the stadium, so I really couldn't tell anything other than he went to ground. And then after he went to ground, he didn't seem to stay down too much longer and the Napoli players weren't really protesting that much. So I was like, Oh, okay. It must not have been a penalty. He just, you know, must've got tapped a little bit or whatever. And they didn't protest. So I figured until I watched the replay that maybe it was a little bit questionable, but man, I watched the replay before we're doing this show. I mean, just now at the airport before I got home, that was 100%, no doubt a penalty. And Imagine if we would have got that call right and we would have scored. It would have completely changed the game. I'm not trying to make excuses or anything for the way that Napoli performed because they did not perform the way they needed to if they were wanting to actually win this Scudetto, right? But still, the fact that it wasn't even reviewed – is to me, like they say in the military, unsatisfactory. I don't get it. The only thing I can imagine is that there's some wrongdoings going on there, whether it's a personal preference by the ref because he doesn't like Napoli. I know people don't like to talk about this, but, you know, how can it not be something because there's VAR, there's somebody looking at their replay telling him what he's seeing. So how in the hell can you not look at the replay? It was pissing me off in the airport because that could have changed the course of the game. That could have changed how Spalletti was approaching the game. And up until that point, Spalletti was approaching that game to go out and get the win. He was trying to get them to score that goal. You know what I mean? I hate it when a ref has the ability to decide – the course of a game and i felt like that he did that with that non call and and i really want to understand how var works right does does the var guy does he really tell him hey man i see something you need to look at it and when he says that the on field ref should be like okay i got you or is it i looked at it and you don't need to look at it because i don't think it is one so you don't need to go see it you know I want them to start freaking playing audio at some point so we can hear what these dudes are saying. It's so frustrating. It's not right. VAR is there for a reason to get the play right, and they got this one 100% wrong.
0: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the way it's supposed to work is if there is a possibility that there could be a foul, the VAR is supposed to call the match official over to have a look, and he makes the final decision as to whether that's a penalty. So we know the VAR looked at it because they did kind of pause momentarily before the goal kick was taken or whatever, goal kick, corner kick, whatever it was. There are other instances where the VAR gets to make the final decision, like in offsides, for example, that's entirely done by by the fourth official or the, the official on the VAR. But with penalties, they should at least call the, the head official over you know, we've seen penalties given for similar offenses, maybe even for lesser offenses. So I can definitely appreciate that frustration. And you kind of alluded to this, but I don't know if it's just me, but Victor seems to never get the benefit of the doubt. This guy is constantly fouled. Not I'm not just talking about inside the area, anywhere on the pitch, because he's so difficult to defend. We see players playing very aggressively against him. And a lot of the time they get away with it without a foul at all. And I don't know if the officials have a perception of him as a player who goes to ground too easily. And so they're not as quick to blow the whistle with him. To me, he does that sometimes, but not any more than any other striker in the league. And you think of players like Chiro Immobile or Dusan Vlahovic. These are all guys that They're all fantastic strikers and they all occasionally embellish a tackle every now and again. So I find it hard to believe that Victor in such a short period of time that he's been in the league, he's been injured half the time on top of that. So he's really only played about a full season, could already have a reputation as a player that likes to flop. So to me, I do see where you're coming from Dan. Now I do believe that we might obviously have a bit of a bias as Napoli fans. I think it's when it's your club, it's natural to look for explanations for people to point the finger at, let's say, when you don't get a result. And when you win matches, we tend not to be bothered by plays like this. Going back to the Lazio match, if Fabian doesn't score the late winner, I think a lot of the dialogue after that match would have been about Luis Felipe's handballs two occasions in that match. At least one of them surely was a penalty. We just didn't talk about it as much because we happened to win that match anyways, right? But when you don't win the match or or even draw the match, I think then... This becomes a much bigger part of the conversation. That being said, I think you should also never put yourself in a position where you need a debatable penalty decision to get a result. I think I've criticized Roma for this because a lot of Romanisti will complain to you that they have not had the official's decisions go their way in a lot of their matches. And my my response to that is that, well, you shouldn't keep putting yourself in a situation where you need a call from the official to go your way. So, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. Also say the same thing about Napoli. Now, there's obviously other reasons why this match didn't go the way that we wanted to, and we'll talk more about that in part two. But Jay, unless you have any thoughts on on the Victor Osiman non call, then we can move on to the Olivier Giroud.
1: Yeah, just say so quickly. I, I agree. It was it was definitely a penalty. I wasn't sure on first watching it normal speed, but when you go back and you watch it, you can clearly see there's contact before Osserman goes down. And as you quite rightly said, there was two penalties that were missed against, potentially two that were missed against Lazio. And you just saying about Roma there and how fans don't feel they're getting getting the rub of the green, should we say? Well, I seem to remember Onghiera getting fouled in the box when we went to Olympico earlier this season, and we didn't get a penalty on that occasion either. And I think again you were right in saying that you know when you're an Napoli fan, you're invested, you're naturally going to see this more than anybody else. And I can't say I watch every team in Serie A, and I can see the same for other teams. But it does seem amazing how many times that we do have things that go completely and utterly unmissed. And I don't know about, obviously, on your coverage over there, but over here, you very rarely get even replays of some dubious decisions. So you don't even get a second chance to have a look. I remember Victor Osserman, speaking about Victor Osserman, Another caller during the season, it might have even been in that same Roma game where my initial thought watching the game was penalty and there was no replay shown. (laughs) So it's one of those things. At the end of the day, the VAR is there in theory to stop mistakes happening. At the end of the day, as I've always said, the problem is it still boils down to somebody's opinion. If it's an offside, you can draw a line, you can say that's on, that's off. When it's a penalty or a booking or something like that, It still comes down to somebody's opinion, somebody's decision. For me, it was a penalty. Contact was there. It's in the box. I agree with what you said earlier. Not every contact constitutes a foul. It is a contact game. But in that scenario, when you've got a striker, yes, obviously he was out on the line, but he's still bearing down towards goal. He could be picking out a pass in the middle. Anything could happen. A foot has come, made contact with his ankle. He's lost balance and gone down. That's a foul. If that's outside the box, that's given, in my opinion. And at the end of the day, a foul outside of the box is the same as a foul inside of the box. A foul is a foul.
0: Yeah, and that's a fair point. Dan, before I come to you, I'll just say that even within Napoli games, there's inconsistency because it wasn't too dissimilar to the foul which led to the penalty against Inted, where we see this all the time in this season and last season where a striker will just step in front of the defender who's going to clear a ball or whatnot and... He doesn't intentionally foul, but he kicks the striker on the back of the leg, and the penalty is given. So it's curious that the penalty was awarded against Inted, but not awarded in this match. And, of course, that's always been the biggest issue with the league. It's that they're not consistent with some of these calls. Then, The one thing
2: that I'm wondering is that... Um, so, like you were saying earlier, Joe, that just because there's contact doesn't mean there's a foul, right? So, I mean, when is the contact considered a foul? Like, does it have to be contact that affects the player's ability to make an attacking movement, either to try to score himself or to get the ball into the open area for somebody else to pounce on the ball? If you look at where he's at when he got fouled, he's right on the line, like was mentioned earlier, And if there was no player in the area, maybe that's one thing that the VAR is like telling the on-field ref, hey man, he got hit, but there was nobody around. It wasn't like he was going to do anything with the ball anyway. I'm wondering if maybe that's part of it. And then the other thing that I mentioned a little bit that honestly I'm frustrated with that I think has a little something to do with the players and the way that they need to react to different things in the game is the fact that they didn't protest, like, almost at all. Why didn't, like, even Insigne, our captain, go over to Ozzy, man, and find out, dude, did you get hit or not, man, figure that out, and then go up to the ref. And if it's just him, it's enough. But somebody needs to to protest it enough to where the ref feels like there's pressure on him to actually review the play. You know what I mean?
0: Let me answer both of your questions. I mean, on the first one, I think that's the subjectivity that Jay's talking about, that there is still a decision to be made by the official about what constitutes a foul. I don't think it has anything to do with whether it prevented a goal scoring opportunity, for example, because we saw a foul committed against Mario Rui on a Milan corner kick in this match where ospina actually made a fantastic save on the header but they blew the whistle because off in the corner of the area Mario Rui was shoved so to me that that's clear proof that it doesn't matter whether the foul prevented a goal scoring opportunity or not I think it just purely comes down to a decision by the official about whether there was an infraction whether there was enough contact how they decide what enough means I don't think any of us will be able to figure out, but that's where the subjectivity comes in. And then on the players not protesting Insignia, even Oseman himself, I wonder if that was just because they themselves didn't realize it. I mean, we have the benefit of live replays and close-ups and different angles and all of these things when they're playing in the match and they've got the adrenaline going and it's played at much quicker speed, as you would know, Dan, watching it live compared to watching on TV, I'd venture to guess that Insigne had no idea. And maybe even Osman just didn't realize, you know, you, there's all kinds of contact going on. He's got hit by two different players, right? He had Kalulu coming in late as well. Maybe he didn't think even that there was a foul because when, when they really feel that they got fouled, you you see it, right? You do see the protests, and especially from Victor, if, if there's one thing, he's very animated about these things. So I had a feeling that maybe he himself didn't even recognize that there was a foul there. Let's move on to the Olivier Giroud goal. Jay, is there anything we could have done on this play, or do we just tip our hats to Giroud for this goal?
1: Well, the most obvious thing we could do, that I think probably been obvious for a while now, is win the second ball we seem to have got into this position where the first ball, okay, we win. We've got Koulibaly, Rachmani. We've got good players in the air. We've got good you know, aerial ability. But the second ball, how many times this season have we seen the ball bubble round in the box, drops to somebody, they put it in, goal. It's happened time and time and time and time again. It happened with Edin Dzeko against Inter. It happened. And, it's switching on to that, it's knowing that, OK, if you want to discuss it as first phase, second phase, third phase, whatever. OK, first phase, done. Second phase. Now, Giroud, you've got to tip your captain to a certain degree because, you know, a lot of players that would have flashed past them and gone wide of the post and it would be been a goal kick. You know, fair play to him. He had the awareness to get his foot on the end of it and direct it towards goal. And For me, it's that frustration that it just seems time and time again... This season we have a fantastic defensive record, but the goals that we concede are so unfortunate. The Jeco one that I have mentioned, that one yesterday, there was the goal with Spezia, where you know it's just headed off the back of someone's head. It's remarkable, sort of, you know, how much bad luck we are having. But at the same time, we have to be more alert to the second ball. We have to make sure that we're dealing with the first ball thoroughly, and if we don't, we're ready to deal with the second ball. And we're just at the minute, we just seem to be a yard off everything. And unfortunately for us, we're not getting the break with it.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. We do tend to not win those second balls. And in this case, you could even say the third ball because the ball fell to Kessie. His shot was blocked and then it fell to Calabria and he got the shot off. Now, obviously, he completely missed the target. So there was some good fortune in that sense, too, that it, you know, he missed the target, but he found a, a teammate. I saw a few people online blaming Insigne because he played a wayward pass in the build-up uh, trying to play the return pass to Koulibaly, and then he committed the the foul on Tonali, which led to that free kick. I think it's a bit harsh to blame Insignia just because of all of those things that had to happen after the free kick was taken. I do think that we have to give Giroud credit, though, because, I mean, this was a pure striker goal in the sense that only a pure striker has the instinct to jump back on side and to just turn and sort of direct the ball towards the corner of the goal like he did. I don't think a lot of players are capable of that. Then I don't know how closely you follow Milan, but do you think that Giroud has ended the so called curse of the number nine jersey for Milan? <laughs>
2: yeah, I- I've heard of that before. I, I don't know. I think they got to win a Scudetto first. Until they actually win a scudetto with him as the number nine, I don't think the curse is gone.
0: So <laughs> all right. <we'll laughs> You're going to keep them
2: cursed. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. You know what I mean? I mean, he has definitely been worth the signing. That's no doubt. But I think to make it all worth it, they need to actually win that scudetto. you know? Kulabali sure, on that play, if I could just say something about, you know, his position and everything. Koulibaly, if if anybody – Tries to say he's not one of the best center backs in the world. Whether they're a Napoli fan or not, then they don't know what they're watching. And there was a lot of things that had to happen on that play by several players in order for that to goal to get in. And I hate it when I hate it when fans will like try to put the blame on a specific thing when there was a, a multitude of things that caused it to happen. I'm harsh on Insignia this year, man. Insigne has not met the par. He has nowhere near met the expectations and performance and attitude and leadership. But to blame him just to make him the scapegoat for a bunch of different mistakes that happened all at the same time, that's not right. I don't like it when fans do that, man. When they, when they jump on a player, they jump on a player and they don't let go. You know what I mean? So, blame him for like not performing, not having a good attitude, whatever, you know, stuff that is obviously there, but don't blame him for the loss all by himself. He played bad, but that play wasn't just because of him. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, this is a team sport. At the end of the day, they all win as a team and they all lose as a team. And yeah, players might have an individual influence on the game, but I completely agree with that. You know, you mentioned Giroux, and stepping up in big moments. He scored two goals against Inted in that five-minute stretch to get Milan the win in the Derby. He scored the winner in this one. I hesitate to bring up the next point, but I'm going to anyways. For as good as Oseman has been for us, the one knock that you could say he has on his game is that he hasn't scored in the big matches. Then is that something that we should be concerned about?
2: I think concern is probably a a good thing to say, but not overly concern. I mean, this is only his second year. He's had to deal with a lot of injuries both years. He's only had moments where he's getting good service. And every time that he's got to make a play on the ball, he's got two dudes on him. So uh, until we can figure out a way to play off of him better and get him better service, It's going to be frustrating for him, and he's going to have to just to fight through that. I mean, I remember the early Cavani years. I don't think he had as hard of a time, but he had Levaytse and Hamsik trailing him. You know, I mean, when you've got Levaytse and Hamsik creating, attacking plays with you, that's different. Ozeman doesn't have that, man. He's got a bunch of injured players, a bunch of underperforming players. A player that's you know jumping ship, another player that only has a left foot, another player that gets hurt every other game. I mean, he he's got a lot of stuff that he's dealing with to be able to perform at a high level, and I hope that we don't start hearing the chirps from the fans that you know, oh, Oziman's not worth the money and all this kind of stuff. Let's wait until we can actually see him get a rhythm with players that are helping him perform, you know, because he hasn't had that. I mean, there's been moments where you're like, oh, okay, maybe it's going to start clicking. Like I remember last year he started to click with Lozano and Insigne. There was moments where you're like, oh, man, if Lozano is streaking down, just like the days of Levatesy, and he would cross the ball low to the ground, and find Ozzyman. Those are the type of plays we need. We need somebody else that is up there near Ozzyman to help him because he can't do it by himself. You know what I mean? So I don't think that's going to start happening, Joe. I don't think people are going to start chirping, but if they can't right the ship and start actually getting a, a streak of wins together, it wouldn't surprise me if people start trying to say stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And that's why I hesitate to bring it up because I don't want to be the guy that starts all all of that. I mean, I think it's probably the people who are looking at the stat sheets that are, are making that criticism. You look at the teams he scored against, it's Udinese, Santoria, Cagliari, Venezia. But if you actually watch the matches, Napoli fans know how important Victor is and we all know how hard he is trying to do everything that he can and not everything shows up on the stat sheets. I mean, he did miss a big opportunity to score in this match, but I agree with you that he had Tamori and Kalulu on him like glue for the entire match. I agree that we constantly launch the ball forward and ask him to go chase it down and he has no support and and we're not just playing it forward, we're playing it towards the corner so we're kind of cornering him and we're not exactly setting him up for success. He does not have the support like you mentioned Cavani did with Lavezzi and Hamsik. I think part of the problem is that we're not crossing the ball to him. I mean, last season, he must be working on his ability to win headers because I didn't think he was bad at winning aerial duels last season, but I thought it was a game that could be improved. And then this season, the guy seems like he wins every ball that's put towards him in the air. We saw the goal he scored against Cagliari. But we barely crossed the ball to him in in this match and in other matches. And where I'm going with this, which is something we're going to talk about later, is everything seems to be pointing to the wingers, whether it's the lack of support or the lack of crosses. And that's really working against us. I think the other thing is that teams are now strategizing on ways to stop Victor. And when you do that, like when you put two center backs to cover one player, logic tells you that that should mean one other player is open. But again, if, if we're just booting the ball long, then you kind of negate that because that player that's open is halfway on the other side of the field trying to catch up to the play. So that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk a bit more about some general thoughts on the match and who perhaps we should point the finger at. Welcome to part two of the and podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the managers next and how they approached this match. Let's start with Stefano Pioli. Jay, I thought Pioli took a very smart approach to this match.
1: Yeah, I think he knew that we were going to, especially with the atmosphere in the stadium, we were going to come out quickly. We were going to try and assert ourselves. And I think the first 20 minutes, we probably did. And then I think when the tempo from Napoli calmed down, that's when Pioli stepped it up with Milan. I don't know how much of it was to do with after the first 20 minutes, Napoli pretty much stopping and allowing Milan to dictate or how much was, you know, hats off to Pioli and, you know, a good tactical performance. But he does seem to have got Milan to a point where he has built them solidly from the back and the whole point of bringing Giroud in was for exactly what he did the other day against us. It was for exactly what he did against Inter. When they signed Giroud, that was the idea behind it. He's done it for years. He did it with Chelsea, did it with Arsenal. He's one of those players that he's not going to be bursting along around the pitch. He's not going to be doing fancy tricks and flicks, although some of his goals have been a bit uh, a bit interesting and skillful. But he has basically set Milan up all season long to be solid build from the back and then hope that Ibrahimović or Giroud or Liao can take that one chance that they need to win a match. And I think, again, he he set up perfectly yesterday. Like I say, he weathered that storm early on. He knew that storm was coming. He weathered that storm. And then he allowed Milan to start playing their football. And then I think, to be honest, come the end, Napoli did come on strongly. But I think that was more a case of Milan were content that they got their goal. They were happy to sit back and try and defend their goal. And that, that to me just goes to show that Napoli's performance really yesterday, even though we did finish well, there was reasons for that. And I think it was probably less of Pioli's plan and more the fact that Napoli were just flat. There was a shot from Lozano that you probably remember late in the game, about 35 yards out, and he lashed it over, and everybody was frustrated with it. But I actually tweeted at the time, there was nobody making a run around him. But tell a lie, Ossaman. Osserman is the only player at the minute who seems to be making runs. And the problem is we're not finding him. I mean, the amount of times he's made good runs and you see him skulking back, you know, frustrated because the ball didn't come to him. But from behind Lozano, you'd expect either Mario Rui darting down the left, Di Lorenzo darting down the right. There wasn't anything. There was no, nobody screaming, pass me the ball. You're losing the match with about five minutes to go. And there was no tempo. There should have been blue shirts flying forward, right, left, and center. And there just wasn't. I'm not saying he should have shot. For me, he should have tried to take the ball in closer and tried to find a teammate. But there wasn't really much option for him. And for me, it was a case more of Napoli were flat than Pioli was brilliant.
0: Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in just a second because I want to talk a little bit about how much of this is on Spalletti and how much of this is on the players. But just to to close the thought on Milan, one thing that we've seen with Pioli this season is that he seems to find ways to get results away from home. They drew Juventus away from home. They beat Atalanta, they beat Roma, they beat Inter, and now they beat us. And the one other game where they dropped points, I believe it was, away from home was against Fiorentina. And even in that match, they fell down 3-0 and fought back to 3-2 and almost almost took some points out of that one. So Pioli has figured out a way to get results away from home. And he I do completely agree with you that I think they set up to withstand that early pressure. It was very similar to how we played against Latsu, if you think about it. You know, you have that home crowd behind the players. They come out with that extra bit of energy from their feeding off of the fans. And you just want to get through that first quarter of the match let the crowd settle down a little bit and then impose your game. I thought Milan did that exact thing. And I thought a big reason for that was because of that midfield three of Tonali, Benesser, and Frank And I wasn't even expecting Kessie to start in the number 10, but I guess it made sense, particularly for that early phase of the match where you have that bit of extra strength and defensive muscle in the middle of the park And then those three players also contributed in terms of pressing Napoli. Now, I thought we did a decent job of playing out of the press. And one of the frustrations for me was that just our final ball was really lacking in this match where we'd make our progressive movements and pass our way up the pitch. And then we just miss a pass or guys were just not on the same page. And, you know, there was one pass, I, I think it was Fabian in the second half where he was expecting a run and the player went the other way and it ends up looking like he just literally passed the ball straight to Milan and in terms of what you said with Napoli players not getting forward you know the biggest sign of that for me was when I see Koulibaly getting forward making two or three runs he's another player that I would put into the category of Osimen and Mario Rui that will come to this about playing with passion and desire to win he recognized that other players weren't making those runs. So he said, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go make that run. And he almost set up a chance where he crossed the ball from the left wing early in the match. So I think that's definitely a frustration that there wasn't that sort of energy that that we wanted to see in this match. Then I want to talk about Spalletti a little bit because a lot of us criticized him after the INTED match for, Maybe being too conservative, not going after a win, especially in that second half. I certainly criticized him after the Cagliari match. I thought he got outcoached by Mazzotti, and maybe he was... I know he was a little bit... His hands were a little bit tied with injuries in that match, but that whole 3-4-2-1 didn't really go so well. He did well against Lazio, but we might not be saying that had we not scored a a 94th-minute winner. And then now we have this match against Milan... Do you think Spalletti got out coached by Pioli here?
2: I do, but not by much. Like Jay was saying earlier at the beginning of the match, Spalletti had the players with the right approach, and they came out with a lot of energy. But like you said, the final touch, maybe the second-to-last touch, it was like once they got to a moment where they were at the end of the play to actually create a shot, they they messed up like almost every time. I only remember one clean shot where they could have scored, and that was that Ozzyman shot that uh, went right to the goalie. You know what I mean? And I think what probably happened, and spalletti has got to work on this, man, so when they're not able to execute when they're playing that hyper – attacking style if they get to a point where he can see okay they're starting to get either frustrated or they're losing confidence because nothing is working spalletti has got to figure out a way to make adjustments in the game without just okay now let's just sit back and make sure that we play good defense so we can at least get a draw he has not made good in-game adjustments to still ensure that they are still going for the win
0: Yeah, that's exactly one of the things I wanted to talk about, because one of the most common criticisms of Spalletti lately has been that he's been waiting too long to make his substitutions, which I mean, you can make in-game adjustments without making substitutions. But the same point is being made that he's becoming a little stale. Right. And, you know, Giroud opened the scoring in the 49th minute. Spalletti didn't make his first changes until the 67th minute and he didn't bring Mertens on until the 75th minute, which has been another criticism that a lot of people have had that Mertens is just getting into the game way too late. We're talking about the all-time top goal scorer in the history of the club and he's barely getting 10, 15 minutes a match. Jay, do you think Spalletti should have reacted quicker?
1: Absolutely. We go 1-0 down four minutes into the second half and for me you give that maybe another 10 minutes you see if you can steady the ship get back on top try and build momentum and if you haven't by that point that's when you start bringing the subs on i think even when the subs did come i think they were the wrong players now i understand that lozano might not have been ready to play too many minutes but merton should have been on he should have been off the bench early i think One thing, and I've repeatedly said it over and over and over and over on Twitter, and I'm sure many other people have, Osman is becoming so isolated at the top of the pitch. And that's partly because if you look at our inverted forwards, or however you want to put it, Politano's just not been at the races this season. Insigne's been disappointing this season. Lozano seems to get injured every time he goes away on international duty. So he hasn't had those to call upon us for support. Zelinski, when Zelensky's on form, he is one of the best playmakers in Europe. He is fantastic. But he sort of dipped again. He started slow, peaked, and then he's dipped again. And for me, and I, th- I can't remember what game it was. It was a game, I think, last season when Victor had had quite a frustrating game. He'd been making all the runs. The ball hadn't been coming through. Mertens came on, and within two minutes, Mertens put him straight through. Not a ball over the top, not a ball to the corner, straight through the middle on goal. And that is what he is crying out for. But we're not doing that. We're not getting the ball to him in positions where he can either go directly to goal and have a shot. What we're doing is getting the ball to him when he's going out wide, and then he's having to try and hold the ball up and hold the ball up against two defenders with no support. And yesterday, I think it showed it more than ever. Osman was so isolated. And to go behind four minutes into the second half in a game that, okay, there's 10 games left. There's another 30 points to play for. When you're challenging for a Scudetto and you're playing one of your Scudetto rivals at home, knowing that if you win, you go back to the top and you've got 10 games to win it. 10 games to go. You've got to be brave. You've got to be attacking. And we sat back. I heard an interesting stat yesterday. Five of the top 20 players with the most passes per game play for Napoli in Serie A season. And two Napoli players are in the top five for the amount of passes per game. And the two that are in the top five are Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo, which goes to show that Napoli are having plenty of the ball and we're playing plenty of passes but in the wrong part of the pitch, in the wrong area of the pitch. We're not building play. We're happy to sit back and sit back and sit back and just try and play these clever little passes. We'll go up the wings and then we'll come back down the wings. We're not managing to do anything meaningful in the middle of the pitch. And that's just leaving Osman completely and utterly isolated. And yesterday, like I say, yesterday was a prime example of that. I mean, the second half, when you've just gone 1-0 down, you would expect a response. You would expect plays flying forward. It didn't happen. And then when you're thinking, well, now Spalletti's going to have to make a sub to try and re-energise the team, to try and get that movement in the middle, you were left waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when he did, for me, they were the wrong subs. I'm a big fan of Almas, and he's having a really good season. And to be honest, Almas on the left this season, probably better than Insigne on the left overall. But in that situation, for me, bring Mertens on. Mertens is the kind of player, he's a game changer. He is the kind of player that, you saw it towards the end of the game, when he, he did a little dribble on the edge of the box and nearly dribbled all the way into the box. He can make things like that happen. We don't have many players that can do that. Politano can do that when he's playing well. But this season, whether it's disappointment from not making the Euros or whether it's, I know he had a daughter not long ago, and may I don't know. But he's not at that level this season. Mertens is one of the only players that we have who is technically so good that he can come on and unlock the door. And that's what we're crying out for. And whether we need to try and find a system, and I believe we do, where Mertens and Osserman can play together more, because Mertens is the kind of player that can find those passes that Osserman will feed on. At the minute, nobody's finding those passes. It's all well and good use using Osserman's speed and his power to get higher up the pitch and play a long ball but if there's no one there then you're not gaining anything from it because by the time your players have come to support Osman, Milan's players yesterday or any other team, they've got back so now you've got no advantage you've lost your advantage we need to be getting players on the pitch that can close those gaps down, that can be there for Osserman to tap the ball off to run around the defender, get the ball back and yesterday it just really summed up for me more so, the Inter game was definitely, definitely a big one, and I, I was really, really frustrated after that game. As I said earlier, a game against a Scudetto rival, you are at home, we were the best team in the first half. To sit back and not attack, I don't understand that. For me, you are giving the players the wrong mentality. You're telling the players that, OK, I think you're good enough to defend and win a point. But I don't know if you're good enough to go and get free. And that kind of mentality, that's the mentality that you overlining games like yesterday. That's the mentality that we saw it with Lazio last week. You know, we do have the players, we have the players with the ability to do it. There is no player on this Napoli team right now that we are carrying. Every player has a value, every player can come in and make a contribution, a really meaningful contribution. But Spalletti has to use those players accordingly. He has to know when to use them, where to use them. He needs to know how to breathe life into them. He needs to know how to put confidence into them. And to me, by playing this way every time a big team rolls into town, whether it's Inter, whether it's Juve, whether it's Milan, whether it's Atalanta, whoever, by playing a game where you're trying not to lose rather than trying to win, you're sending the wrong message to your players.
0: Yeah, you've touched on a lot of points that I was going to bring up as well. On the inverted wingers, I think that's hurting us. Obviously, his hands were tied in that regard as well, not having Lozano. Maybe he could have brought Unas on sooner. But when you're playing with two inverted wingers, it becomes easier to defend because, again, Pioli can just defend the middle of the park knowing that Insignia is going to cut into the middle, Politano is going to cut into the middle, and we generally build up through the middle. So if you stop Napoli there... It's going to be a lot more difficult to break through. And then in terms of the approach to these matches, I made this point on another show, but we've had four consecutive matches now where we had the opportunity to go top of the table. We tied Inter, playing very conservative. We tied Calliotty. I mentioned I think we just got out coached in that match. You know, it was short rest, lots of circumstances, tough environment to play in. We managed to do it against Lazio, but again, at the last second. And then again, in this match, we missed another opportunity. So there's definitely some frustration there with Spalletti. You mentioned the mentality. I wonder how much of that is on Spalletti and how much of that is on the players themselves. But first, then I want to get your thoughts.
2: Okay, so the reason that Marathons is not being put in earlier is because somebody's been told not to give him too many minutes. Okay? We're not ever going to know that. It's not like somebody is going to say it. It's not going to come from the horse's mouth. But that is exactly what's happening. Secondly, of course, Rui has more passes than almost everybody in the history of the game because he passes the ball backwards Every time that dude touches the ball, oh, here it goes back to Koulibaly. Oh, oh he, oh, he has somebody in the middle. Oh, that's too hard of a pass. Here it goes back to Koulibaly. Oh, is Rui going to make a run? Oh, here it goes back to Koulibaly. Dude, Rui, the reason he's playing all the time is because La is trying to make some money on him in the summer. Goulam is going to go on the free. Ain't going to get no money for Goulam. So we need to show that Rui can play so that Laurinkis can get his five mil or whatever ends up being for that player, right? Why not give Gulem more minutes and more of a chance? Gulam makes a difference in attack. His crosses, when he's on, which means he has to have rhythm, his crosses are world class. He kicks the corner kicks, and every time he does, they are on points. Goulam is bigger. Gulam can handle people on that side that are bigger than him. Ruby might be just a little bit quicker than him, but it ain't like Ruby is a speed demon, right? So I don't understand why Goulam is not getting more playing time. Every time he's played this year, he's looked good. And then Mertens, man, you are spot on, Jay, that when Mertens comes in, he is always going to be able to find that open player on a run with a through ball. He's always looking for that, right? But, no, he's not going to come in until the 75th minute or later. We just got to get used to that and accept that that's the way it's going to be unless an injury happens because Laudintes has freaking told Spalletti, listen, man, I I don't want to have to resign this guy. I don't want that to be a controversy. Let's just, you know, let him come in and be a sub and everything, but let's let's not make it to where he's going to score all these goals, you know. Nobody, like I said, is going to say that. We're not going to hear that from anybody at all. Even Cheeto himself, because Cheetos are professional, right? The reason I believe that Spalletti is more conservative now is because he's nervous about losing a Champions League spot. Because if he loses a Champions League spot, then Laudinthe is going to be like, oh, I'm going to Hack you off too, man, because you suck too. You know what I mean? It ain't only about Champions League when you have all these players. You have the experience in winning. You need to go out and grab the Scudetto because this is the time when you can do it. Don't play like a wussy. I hate it. You know, right now, even though Gattuso was all about ball possession, ball possession, ball possession, ball, right? Maybe we need a little bit of Gattuso- Grinta in everybody, because it's frustrating, man. But I believe that those are some of the reasons of why there has been a stigma over the team for such a long time, because a lot of the players really understand what the objective has always been. From day one, as soon as ADL got them into Champions League, he was like, "Okay, this is the way I can keep making money because I don't know how to make money a whole lot of other ways. Oh, wait wait a minute. No, I can make 20 million jerseys and make money that way too maybe, right? But I don't know how to make money like a lot of them do with international marketing and and all this stuff, right? So he needs to find his way to make money, right? But don't make it to the point where you don't want to try to still win a Scudetto. And it's getting to the point where I will never, ever go back on the shirt. I will never do that. But at some point – you get tired of hearing people just be acceptance of being a champions league team. It's overdue. It's been too long. And I believe that Spalletti is probably approaching games more so that way, because he doesn't want to get hacked. I mean, we know ADL don't wait to fire his coaches, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the Lorentis has been supportive of Spalletti throughout. I completely agree with you that, There's probably a bit of conservatism here because he's cautious of losing that top four position. To be honest, I completely disagree on the Mertens point. I don't think there's any evidence to support that. And I don't want to get into that whole argument just because I've talked about this on a previous episode, but I think playing Mertens gives you the opportunity to make a lot more money. If you win the Scudetto, you win more money. If you finish in the top four, you you make more money the amount of money you would make winning the Scudetto would more than cover what Merton's salary would be anyway. So I don't really want to get into that. I, I appreciate your frustration. I know you've uh, you've had your qualms with the in the past. So I'm, I don't want to get into that argument because we're pretty short on time. But that's going to do for part two. In part three, I want to talk a little bit about what this result means going forward and whether we are still in contention to win the Scudetto. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. So with this loss, we dropped to third in the table, three points behind Milan and one point behind Inter. Inter have a game in hand. If they win that game, we'd be four points behind them. Inter also own the head-to-head record against us. If we end up tied with Milan, I think it would come down to goal differential because we tied 1-1 on aggregate over the two legs. Of course, with 10 rounds to play, we're still very much in the Scudetto race, at least mathematically. But I want to get your thoughts on this. Jay, I'll come to you first. How big of a blow do you think this loss was to our chances of winning the Scudetto?
1: Well, as you say, there's 10 games to play. There's 30 points to play for. So mathematically, we're absolutely still in the race. You know, we're only three points off top. We're definitely in the race mathematically. I think our biggest opponent over the last 10 games, is ourselves. It's our mentality, quite frankly. The problem is mentality. Last week, when we beat Lazio, I put out a tweet basically along the lines of, that is the spark. That is a moment where Scudetto's titles, whatever championship you're playing for, can be won and lost. They're the moments that you can believe. And I was really hoping... That moment against Lazio was going to be our spark. That was going to be right. Okay, look, we can do this. Look at what's happened. This is our year. I think part of the problem is, as we were touched upon earlier, the penalty shouts and when you don't win games, when there were dubious decisions and things like that, they get into our minds because we're invested. We're fans. We love our club. So we're invested and we feel that. And the players do too. And I know I said myself earlier that a lot of them are walking around like they don't care. Of course they care. At the end of the day, if they've got a chance to, to put a trophy on their resume, they're going to want to take it. And players like Koulibaly, who plays his heart out every single week, and Osman, who plays his heart every single week. Insigne, admittedly, has been bad this season. But do you think he doesn't want to sign off with the Scudetto? You know, what better way to sign off than to go out as a champion? Of course he wants it. But for me, and this is why I've made such a big deal about the way Spalletti is playing, and I completely take on board the points that you've just made. But to me, Spalletti has got to instill in the players, you can do this. You can go out and you can win. Because it's one of those things. A couple of years ago, when we were talking about signing James Rodriguez, and everyone was saying, oh, I don't know, he gets a lot of injuries. I wanted to sign him for one reason, really. One main reason. He was a winner. He'd won things in places where he'd been. And I felt that we needed more of that in Napoli. You look at the effects and the impact that Ibrahimović has had on Milan. You know, a player that has been places and won things, they bring a whole host of things to the dressing room, whether it's professionalism, whether it's work rate, whether it's just experience. You know, they bring so much to it. And in our case, we need Spalletti... A lot of the talk this year going into the season was Osserman is going to be the capital coming year purely because Spalletti is coming in and Spalletti has a great record with strikers. because we saw it with Dzeko at Roma and at Inter and so on and so forth. Of course, obviously, you know, it's losing Osserman for such a big period of time is going to hamper anybody. It's going to hamper any team, especially our team, especially when we play so much around Ossman. It's really going to impact us. But we need to have Spalletti telling us, okay, fair enough. I mean, look, again, keep divergent. Look, when we played Juventus, just after the festive break, we barely had a squad. Yet yeah, we went to Juventus and we could have won that match. I mean, a point in the circumstances was fantastic, but we could have won that match. So these players do have that mentality. They do have that grinter, if you like, whether it's, you know, Cattuso left before he left the stadium. Who knows? But we do have that grinter in there. We just have to find a way of bringing it out every week without fail. It's no good having it one week against Lazio and then not having it the next week against Milan. And our problem is, it really seems like, as you touched upon earlier, Joe, when we have that chance to go top, when we're given this gift-wrapped opportunity to put ourselves in the driving seat, we seem to drop the ball. And it all comes down to mentality. We need players that are hungry and want to go out and they want to run themselves into the ground. I mean, last night, the frustrating thing was they just didn't seem to want it enough. It reminded me of the Verona game last year, where everybody knew the importance of the game, but there was just no tempo. There was just no desire. And I fully understand people, and people did come at me after the intergame, and they said, well, you're playing a top team, you've got to be more conservative, you can't take risks, you can't do this, you can't do that. How do top teams, how do teams in Napoli's position bring themselves to that next level? They take a risk, because they have to take that risk to get to where they want to get to. You're not just going to get to it by, okay, back down the hatches, try not to concede a goal and we'll draw. You need to go and win that game. People will say, well, into a have to take a point. Well, yeah, of course, into a have to take a point. They won a Scudetto last year. Their players know what it takes. They've got that mentality built in now. They, they've done it. They've been there. They've won it. They know in that situation, you can check down, move on to next week. We need to get to a point where we have that mentality. But to have that mentality, you've got to win. And to win, you've got to take a risk. Now, yes, we are now 10 points clear of Atalanta. So we're 10 points clear of fifth. So we've got that cushion between us and fifth. And of course, the priority, as we've always stated, is to get back in the Champions League. We need that desperately. Going forwards, we've got so much happening in the summer. We're going to have so many players leaving, whether they're out of contract or Fabian Ruiz with his contract situation, good chance he will go. This summer, there's going to be a big turnover in players. And that's another reason for me why these last 10 games, they have to play like they've never played before. Because this, I'm not even sure if you can call it this generation of Napoli, because so many players have now moved on. There's Koulibaly left, there's Insigne left. There's not many left that, you know, when you think back five years ago, and there was Callahan, Hamzik, Raul Albiol. I suppose Goulam's still around. But there is no better chance. I'm convinced of it. There will be no better chance for Napoli to win a Scudetto in the next 10 years. This year, we've seen that Milan are beatable. We've seen that Inter are beatable. They've both dropped multiple points over the last few weeks. Uva are where they are. They are making up steady progress, but we've still got, I think, a seven-point cushion. So that's that's you know not bad. Atalanta, 10 points behind us. Roma have played an extra game, I think. They're 10 points behind us. So we are in a position where. Ten games to go, we've got a ten-point buffer. Obviously, we have to finish that top four. But we have got enough leeway with ten points to go all out and try to win this title. And to me, we don't go and do it this year. I don't know when we will because it could go great. You know, players will move on. If we can get the right players to come in and replace them, fantastic. But then again, you've got that jelling in period because there are going to be a lot of players going out, a lot of players coming in. You know, who knows? Who knows when the next time is going to come around where Napoli are going into the last 10 games of the season with a three point deficit, 30 points to play for and teams that are beatable. Inter last year, the way that they won it in the end, you know, nobody was going to catch them. They caught fire and that was it. If Napoli can do that this year, remember Napoli finished really well last year. Osserman awesome caught fire. He was scoring week in, week out. We were winning game after game after game after game. And if you look, our games aren't that bad. Yet, we've got some tricky ones in there. We've got to go away to Atalanta and we've got Roma at home. I think we go away to Atalanta. We're at home against Fiorentina and then at home against Roma three weeks in a row. But we've got, I think, seven days between the first two games and six days between the second two. Being out of Europe gives us that wonderful comfort blanket of having a week to prepare for games. And that's partly why I was even more angry last night because Milano played in the weekend's in the Coppa Italia and we'd had a whole week to prepare for that game. But having a week between games, there's no excuse now. We can prepare fully, barring injuries. I mean, we've had terrible look, a terrible look last year or I think we'd have got a lot closer last year. We've had terrible look so far this year. But if we can now keep our players fit, keep them healthy and we can find some rhythm. If we can, as Dan said, almost rediscover a bit of that Catuso grinta That's what we need now. We need players who want to get on that pitch, want to get on the ball, want to attack and want to score goals. We've got such a good defensive record and I know people are going to say, oh, well, if you start flying forward, you're going to risk conceding at the back. But we've got the players that we can fly forward with. And at the end of the day, OK, not conceding goals can win you a Scudetto, but you're not going to win a Scudetto if you don't score them either. So now... It's a mini-league. It's a mini-season. It's 10 games. I'm not overly concerned about the three-point gap. When there's 30 points to play for, I think Inter and Milan will both drop probably another five or six points at least. So it doesn't matter that we're three points behind. If we take care of our own business, it doesn't matter that we're three points behind now because I don't see either Milan or Inter going the rest of the season winning every game.
0: Again, a couple of points. One is... I agree this is definitely the season to do it, because regardless of what happens with our squad, we've seen Inter return to past glory. Milan now near the top of the table for consecutive seasons. If Juve's spending in January was any indication, they're not going to allow themselves to stay around fourth, fifth place. They're going to go spend more money in the summer and, and make themselves more competitive. So this definitely seems like the most likely scenario to go and win it. I touched on this earlier, but I agree, you know, it's Spalletti's job to motivate the players. I don't think it's entirely on him, though, because we do see the players talking a lot about competing for the Scudetto. They're not shying away from it. I feel like I see this every week, but we have players that are leaving it out there on the pitch. Victor Osman, Mario Rui, Koulibaly, we mentioned those three, but other guys, you know, some of the names you mentioned, including Insigne don't seem to have that fire and, and insignia is the one that concerns me the most because he's wearing the captain's armband and if he's not out there fighting to win every match you know his teammates see that and he's the leader they're following him and I wonder if that starts to rub off on some of his teammates and you know I've joked about this in the past but I do sometimes wish that we kept Gattuso and still hired Spalletti and just put Gattuso on on the bench to yell you know Chuki or, or Zilu or whoever and just to yell at them because you know the one thing that Gattuso did do well is motivate the players and and he had them running like crazy even if it wasn't the most tactical approach we're almost out of time so I want to quickly then come to you um, I just want to talk about what we need to do going forward because a lot of people are suggesting that maybe we need to change our formation our friend Ben who we've had on the show a few times had a great tweet about this that. Is there anyone out there that thinks we shouldn't be playing Mertens next to Oseman as starters and just abandon the wingers because they're not doing anything anyways? Do we go with say a three, four 2 one or a four, three 2 one or something along those lines, then what do you think?
2: I don't know if it's really the formation in itself that needs to be changed because I mean, throughout a game, When you transition to attack and transition back to D and and vice versa, I mean, the formations are moving around to put players in the position they need to be. The problem is last year we had moments where Mertens, Ozzyman, and Lozano were on the field at the same time and defenses had no answer when they were clicking and they were near each other. I don't know if Spalletti wants to do it because it might start some type of controversy that he doesn't want to deal with. But, man, just sit signia for a game or two, man. Lozano looked alive when he came in. He didn't look like he was slow or anything. Might be a little rusty, but he's got a whole week to train. Put him in Insigne's spot. Put Mertens at the number 10, right? And then put Politano over there on the other wing, on the right wing. And then what do you have? You've got Elmas to come in. You've got Zelensky to come in, you know, as subs. And then these other players like Lozano, maybe there's some hunger there that they can, they can display on the pitch and it can start because for me Insigne, the hunger is not there zero. And if it's rubbing off on the other players, Spalletti knows that if he's a good coach, so make that decision. Sit in Insigne for a game. You know, if Insigne is gonna freak out about it, well, then let him freak out. You know what I mean? But if Insigne understands the entire situation and he going off to make his money at Toronto anyway, accept it. There's been other captains. There's been other captains that don't start all the time even when they're healthy, because it's just the right thing to do at that moment. Something like that, I think, needs to happen. I think it needs to be something where it's not so much about changing the formation, but it is changing how the players are playing with each other. And, you know, we need to find a way to get players closer to Ozzyman to be more creative. And Lozano's is going to do that naturally because of his speed. He's going to get up there a whole lot quicker than anybody else. Mertens is going to do it naturally because he likes to be near goal more than, you know, Zelensky is. So I feel that something like that needs to happen. And I'll tell you what, man. So there's 10 games left, and the gap is only three points. So if we end up tied with Milan at the end of the season, right now we have them on goal difference, and I think it's by four goals. So that's a good thing, right? But Inter, a game in hand they're really four points up on us because you have to just assume that they're going to beat Bologna and that gap is attainable, but it's attainable only if right now they go on a winning streak, just like it did at the beginning of the year. They have to do it right now. No hesitation whatsoever. They got to go into Vorona this weekend. You know, it's hard to play in Vorona for them, man. They've always had an issue, but they've got to go in there knowing that they are the better team, play like that. And if that means there's a couple players that need to sit down and let some other players get in there that can make a difference, then that's what they need to do. But they got to do it right now. There can't be any hesitation. Spaletti had that one comment where he was like, uh, you know, it was a loss. We played the game and and we lost. Let's not dwell on that. Okay, well, we get that we don't want to dwell on that, but you need to dwell on getting them ready for Verona.
0: That's where I agree with Jay that at some point you do need to start taking some risk. You can't just play conservative right to the end. And then, unless to your point, if you're just content finishing in third or fourth, whatever, however, Yuva does, then fine. But the fans are not going to take that too well. I agree on the formation that. I don't think we need to make too many drastic changes. I I'm generally not a a fan of changing the, the formation this late into the season when we've been training with this system the whole time, but you can change personnel. So I'm curious to see because lately our hands have been kind of tied just with injuries as far as the wingers go. But now that we have Lozano back, we have Unes back. I'm curious to see if Spalletti does maybe try starting Lozano on the left and Politano on the right and giving Insignia a break. I don't know if he'll actually bench his captain. We'll have to see. But I would also like to see Mertens start in the 10 occasionally. We know he can play there. As Jay said, Zielinski has been up and down. So or even if he doesn't start, you know, just make a substitution earlier. If if you start Zielinski in the 10 and he has a horrible first half, replace him at halftime, right? And, and give Mertens 45 minutes to make a difference instead of Five ten minutes. That's all we have time for today. I feel like we could have talked for probably three or four more hours if <laughs> if we kept going, but I'm going to have to wrap it up there. So I want to thank both of our guests for taking the time to talk to me today. Dan, thank you so much.
2: Hey, thank you, Joe. My pleasure to be on. Um, I love being on your show, brother.
0: Always a pleasure. And Jay, don't be a stranger. We definitely want to have you back soon.
1: Hey, yeah, happy to come back. It's been great chatting Napoli with you guys. So thanks for that.
0: Thank you. You can find both of our guests on Twitter. Jay is at SSC Napoli News underscore and Dan is at Azzurro Bowen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back very soon to review our latest Primavera and Femminile matches and to preview the match at the weekend against Hellas Verona. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.
1: Podcast Network.